views expressed on this episode of Walking Through the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions with Chris Schroeder do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or our affiliates. KHLT is not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Now here's those two guys who investigate prior to contempt, Chris and the Monty Man. Well, greetings everyone, all of you in recovery, those of you who are advocates of recovery, and those of you who should be in recovery. This is the Monty Man along with Chris Schroeder, and we are walking through the 12 steps and 12 traditions, and uh, we're going to be addressing step six. Uh, Before we do that, though, I want to give a shout out for walking through the big book, uh, a comprehensive workshop uh, with Chris Schroeder. And I got I got to tell you, uh, you, you're going to hear me talk about this a lot because uh, right now this is this is uh, and I'm, I don't apologize for this. This is our our sole our sole uh, uh, financial support right now as far as sponsorship goes. If you would like one of these things, uh, we're asking for a donation of twenty five dollars for these. And this is thirty four one hour workshops on the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous line by line. Uh, sentence by sentence, and uh, this let me let me just tell you a little bit about it. Uh, this will introduce you to the founders and participants of early AA. You'll meet the men and women of AA and hear their stories that you may have never heard before. Learn the true intentions of those who carried the spiritual message of recovery, the reasons why AA's success rate was so very high, and travel back to Akron in New York and even learn the difference between the two. I promise you, your eyes will be open like never before to a fellowship of the Spirit and the Spirit of the Fellowship. I do. Uh, if you've never cracked the big book, let me tell you something. It is so vitally important. And there are so many word, key words in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that uh, support and help you to apply and implement in your life so you can recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And uh, we have these available for you. You could go down to the link on the bottom left of this page. uh, And uh, most all of our pages has a link to that. Walking through the the big book. Uh, I want to tell you that it is so important that it's, I feel that it is so vitally important that if you're going to take a, a course on something or a class on something, that you read the textbook that goes with it. And, and I often say, and I think Chris put this in my head a long time ago, that if you're going to go to an aviation class, I'm not sure you use this example, but it's the one I use, and you're, you're going to learn how to fly a plane, and you don't read the textbook, and all you do is go to the class. When they hand you the keys to that plane, what's going to happen? Well, one of two things. You're either not going to be able to take off, or when you do take off, you're going to crash. And we don't want that to happen to you. We want you to succeed in your recovery. And I've got to tell you, this thing is uh, is, is really awesome. But you've got... You can't just let it sit on your shelf or just listen to it either. You've got to listen to it intently, gather some people around you, and then do what it says. 
Uh, but I, I got to tell you, I promise you, you will enjoy it. Chris is a funny guy. He's a serious guy. And uh, he's a man with a lot of integrity. We're so blessed to have him here on the show doing another series of workshops, walking through the 12 steps and 12 traditions. Uh, Chris, uh, you rock, brother. <laughs> Monty, thank you for that. You know, so speaking about that uh, that big book workshop, we did that like two, two, three, two and a half years ago. Yeah, uh, it really was the most comprehensive thing I've ever done, and I'm I'm sure that you you would agree that you ever did on on the book absolutely uh, on the book Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, there wasn't anything left uh, <laughs> of, of of anything that I had after the end of that. Uh, you know, we put it all on the table, but that was that was. Very, that was a very fun workshop. Yeah, yeah, and and, and th this is proving to be that way as well. Uh, I, I think uh, our friend Willie from Canada said <coughs> said when when is the release date of that DVD for the twelve by twelve? And and uh, I said we're not sure yet because we don't want to miss anything uh, that's that's in the book. So we really can't give you uh, listeners a date when that will be released. But until then. You can go to the webpage at takeswellradio.com and click on the link, walk into the 12 by 12. And every week, uh, this usually uploads uh, Wednesday night or Thursday morning. Every week, it's there for you to listen to. And uh, the first three are there for you to actually download to whatever device you want to download it to. Um, but you can always listen to it on, on the website. All right, uh, Chris, we are we finished up with step five, part two, last, uh, last time. And this week we're looking at step six, which states we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And, and jokingly, I said... We were entirely ready to have God remove all our, our defective characters because we would like to see a lot of people in our lives removed, especially in early recovery, because they're just <laughs> bugging us, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, listen, there's a lot of things that we would like to have <laughs> yeah. removed. Uh, you know, when we first, uh, when we first show up uh, in, in recovery or, or, you know, we first show up <clears throat> in a support group, there's a lot of things that we want removed. You know, uh, one of the things that's so important that it bears repeating probably every single time uh, sure. you, and I, you and I talk, I agree. Monty, is is the fact that the recovery process for alcoholism, as it was laid out by Bill Wilson and the early members of Alcoholics Anonymous, the recovery process is the steps. What, what's, what's really happened in most, uh, most of the, the support fellowships is uh, it's, uh, the, the recovery process has been basically supplanted by a very robust fellowship uh, that includes that includes a lot of service and a lot of activity, uh, and this is this is okay unless you're in real trouble with alcoholism, unless you're what any what the literature describes as a low bottom or a real alcoholic. If that's the case, you can fellowship till the cows come home, and you can service yourself until you have no time left in the day, and you're not going to recover. You're, you're not. If you're able to stay sober, you're going to be very unhappy. You're going to probably suffer from uh, waves of anxiety, bouts of depression. Uh, you know, just basically an unsatisfactory life where you're just you're just uncomfortable with yourself and whatever environment you're in. Probably more than you're comfortable, and and that's what that's what untreated alcoholism is. So. 
so you know, we're, if we if we keep jumping up on the soapbox, Monty, uh, talking about steps, it's because they're vitally important. Uh, if you're able, again, if you're able to stay sober without uh, formally going through the twelve step process, one of two things is true. Uh, one of them is you're not an alcoholic or a drug addict, <laughs> and the other is you're going to be an incredibly miserable alcoholic or drug addict if you haven't gone through the steps. Sure. And if you don't believe that, you need you you really need to reexamine uh, the the material. Uh, uh, the you need to reexamine the text to uh, accurately identify what you are uh because if you're you're hop skipping and jumping through uh, a support group without having gone through the steps you're probably in the wrong place you you've probably overreacted to a to a problem that you could have probably taken care of yourself mm-hmm. but if you're a real deal if you're the mad dog alcoholic or drug addict <clears throat> you just absolutely have no uh, have no other recourse except uh, a recovery program, <clears throat> and never mistake a recovery fellowship from a recovery program. They are two completely separate things that work well when mixed together. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. And, and it, it, it's, it's unfortunate, but a lot of folks, well-meaning, really, uh, have been teaching for a number of years that it's the fellowship that is going to keep you sober. And, you know, it's interesting because there's two, two things that I hear that I just love. If you're powerless and I'm powerless, zero plus zero is zero. If you're sick and I'm sick, do the math. You know, and, and so it's not going to meetings. is It's a wonderful thing for people that don't have, like you said, that aren't truly alcoholic or truly uh, uh, addicts. But for people that are powerless... If that's all you're doing, you're in deep weeds. A huge amount of people that show up in support groups, Monty, uh, <clears throat> you know, got there pretty early. And you know what? What I mean by that is there's there's a number of interventionary processes out there today. Yeah, there really wasn't back in 1935 when when Bill Wilson got sober. Uh, in other words, you, you know, you you get in trouble uh, when you get some DUIs, or or you have some problems at work, or or you know uh, the doctor, or you know somebody says you really need to need to cut down on your drinking. You should probably go to AA, or or you should cut down on you know your 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 painkiller medication. You should go to NA or whatever. There's a lot of well-meaning people that'll point people toward uh, toward the twelve-step fellowships as a solution for their problems, and they're well-meaning people. They they really are, and they and they're unconcerned whether they would qualify as a real alcoholic or a real drug addict. <clears throat> they see a problem that should be taken care of, and they point people to what they think is the answer to the problem. And so, a lot of people show up uh, in either uh, in in the twelve-step fellowships. <clears throat> who really have been intervened on way before they've even become an alcoholic or become a drug addict. They really just have a problem. They, they're they abusing alcohol or they're abusing drugs. And all of a sudden, 
all of a sudden they're filling up the fellowships, uh, those individuals. And they don't need to do the steps. They don't need to have a service commitment. They don't need to make the coffee. They don't need a sponsor. They just need for you to shut up and let them say whatever they want to say in the meetings. Because this is a very democratic uh, fellowship, and you know nobody, there's no rules in here, and nobody tells me what to do or what to say. And so there's a, there's a lot of people that will show up who will who'll be of that ilk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the problem with that is, is if somebody is really alcoholic or really a drug addict, they, they need to start working on a recovery program pronto. They don't need to hear Clem share his one-liners one more time or talk, talk about his drunk log, you know, one more time. They don't need that. They need an, they need an actual spiritual process where they get down to work they discover the causes and conditions of their alcoholism and their problems at life, and they get about the business of working, you know, with God on the removal of these character defects and the recovery of alcoholism. And that that's really what brings us to, to step six. Uh, when you get really serious about your alcoholism or your drug addiction or your obsessive-compulsive disorder, I mean, you know, whatever 12-step uh, thing you land in, uh, you get serious about it. Uh, step four is basically identifying the causes and conditions of your failure at life and your 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 inability uh, to separate from alcohol or drugs or whatever your your problem is. You share as as honestly as you possibly can at that given time about everything uh, that uh, that is is in your inventory. And you you get to a point after the fifth step where you have recognized you've recognized these defects of character, these shortcomings, the the areas where you have fallen short in your relationships with other people, in your in your in and how you've comported yourself, you know, through your life. You've identified how you fell short, and now the next logical step in a sequence like this is to become willing uh, to have God remove these defects of character. One of the things that one of the things that twelve the twelve step process and and philosophy and program one of the one of the areas where they differ from modern uh, psychology and modern therapeutics is in in the fact that they they basically point you to a powerlessness they point you to an inability to be able to fix yourself. Uh, your character defects and your problems, uh, the literature basically says, uh, you can't overcome just because you want to overcome it. You can't do the right about face and start living a better life. You don't have access to the power. It's it's not it's not a lack of knowledge. It's not a lack of motivation. It's not a, a lack of uh, of intent. It's a lack of power that the alcoholic or the drug addict is suffering from. Right. And and this is where this is where it differs from a lot of the treatment processes, a lot of the therapeutics, uh, a, a lot of the systems out there uh, 
that have to do with treating the alcoholic or the drug addict. They what they really want to do is they want to snap you out of whatever your you know whatever lethargy you're in and get you to realize that you're messing up your life <clears throat> and and tell you to not mess it up anymore. <laughs> you know, <laughs> listen, don't you realize you're messing up your life? Well, well, duh. You know, the, the alcoholic or the drug addict is quite aware that they've messed up their life. They 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 absolutely know that the stupidest thing that they could do is put alcohol or drugs back in their body. They've made a decision a hundred times to separate from drugs and alcohol. It's it's not a lack of desire. It's not a lack of honesty. It's a lack of power. So when we look at our character defects and we look at how we're you know how we're falling short out there in the world, we need to understand that if we could have done better, we would have done better. Yeah. And we need to we need to we need to focus our attention in the right direction. Trying to be a better person is the wrong direction, believe it or not. Actually working the twelve steps and trying to apply spiritual principles is the right direction. Because that <clears throat> that is what will uh what will place us in the sunlight of the spirit. So God can do God's work. If we're going to keep control of our life and say, okay, I've, I got it. I'm judgmental. I'm not going to be judgmental anymore. And I'm greedy. I'm not going to be greedy anymore. And I'm selfish. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be selfish anymore. You know, so, uh, you know, tomorrow's going to be a new day. And, I mean, if, if we're going to take charge of our life in that way, like we've just read a self-help book, you know, think and grow smart or something. You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're in big trouble because we don't lack knowledge. We lack power. And it, again, you look at the entire 12 step process, and it's all about a surrender and and uh, the development of a relationship <laughs> with God so that God, who has all power, can straighten our lives out. And this is something that people have, uh, have misunderstand on so many levels. It's just unbelievable. And so many people come into the 12-step fellowships, don't get involved in the steps, relapse, then leave and go to the bar or, you know, go back to the party and say that the 12 steps didn't work for them when all they did was attend a meeting or two. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it, it would be like the person going to the hospital and, 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 and sitting in the waiting room for an hour and then leaving and saying the hospital didn't cure their disease. <laughs> it's it, it, it's ridiculous, but it happens all the time. So anyway, with all with all that, what do you say we uh, get started doing some reading? All right, uh, folks. Uh, if you don't have a twelve and twelve, uh, you can go to uh, aa dot org and uh, download the uh, PDF file there and read along with us as well. Okay, excellent. <clears throat> so we're on page sixty three of the twelve by twelve. And it says here, uh, step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. What defects of character? The defects of character that we identified in step four and shared about in step five. This is the step that separates the men from the boys. So declares a well-loved clergyman who happens to be one of AA's greatest friends. He goes on to explain that any person capable of enough willingness and honesty to try repeatedly step six on all of his faults without any reservations whatever has indeed come a long way spiritually 
and is therefore entitled to be called a man who is sincerely trying to grow in the image and likeness of his own creator. Uh, to apply step six is to understand that we lack the ability to fundamentally change our character and that we need God's help, and that's kind of how you apply step six. Of course, the often disputed question of whether God can and will, under certain circumstances, under certain conditions, remove defects of character will be answered with a prompt affirmative by almost any AA member. To him, this proposition will be no theory at all. It will be just about the largest fact in his life. He will usually offer his proof in a statement like this. Sure, I was beaten, absolutely licked. My own willpower just wouldn't work on alcohol. Change of scene, the best efforts of family, friends, doctors, and clergymen got no place with my alcoholism. I simply couldn't stop drinking, and no human being could seem to do the job for me. But when I became willing to clean house and then asked a higher power, God, as I understood him, to give me release, my obsession to drink vanished. It was lifted right out of me. In AA meetings all over the world, statements just like this are heard daily. It is plain for everybody to see that each sober AA member has been granted a release from this very obstinate and potentially fatal obsession. So in a very complete and literal way, all AAs have become entirely ready to have God remove the mania for alcohol from their lives, and God has proceeded to do exactly that. Having been granted a perfect release from alcoholism, why then shouldn't we be able to achieve the same means, uh, a, a perfect release from every other difficulty or defeat? This is the riddle of our existence, the full answer to which may be only in the mind of God. Nevertheless, at least a part of the answer is apparent to us. You know, there's there's a really great story. I think it was in, in The Power of Now or something, Monty. And it was the story about little Bobby who had a toothache. All right. Here's little, little Bobby. It's the afternoon, and he's coming home from school, and he starts to have a toothache, and his tooth is hurting him. And he knows that if he goes to his mother and he tells his mother that he's got a toothache, she'll crush up some aspirin, she'll give him some aspirin, and she'll make sure that she takes care of him and his toothache will go away. But little Bobby doesn't do anything. He keeps it quiet, and he just kind of hopes it's going to go away itself. Now, why does he do that? He does that because he knows if he goes to his mother, she'll crush up uh, she'll crush up the aspirin and it'll get rid of his toothache. But tomorrow morning, she'll put in a call to Dr. Mengele, the dentist, and off he'll go to the dentist tomorrow, and the dentist is going to bring out drills and suction devices, and you know he'll, <laughs> he'll be prying his mouth open, and he'll and he'll go he'll go through two. An hour and a half, two hours worth of really uncomfortable dentistry, and he'll walk out of the dentist's office, though, with perfect teeth, which is what his mother wants. Well, he doesn't want perfect teeth. He just wants the pain to go away. Right. He doesn't say anything until the pain is so great later that night that he can't sleep that he's got to go in and tell his mother that he's, he's got the toothache. So often we are motivated by pain. We're not motivated out of virtue, Monty. We're right. motivated out of pain. So, yes, alcohol or drugs had us beaten in a big way, and we became very willing to have God remove those defects of character. We surrendered in a really big way. But some of the other defects of character that we have, like maybe being cheap or maybe <laughs> being selfish 
or maybe you know some of our some of our sexual behaviors or you know we're we're power drivers at work and, and you know we're inconsiderate some of those things are a little bit more subtle and some of those things we're not completely ready to have God removed sometimes there's uh there's a recovery process uh, there's an awakening that goes on, and we start to see, we start to peel back the layers of our character uh, over a, over a period of time, and we start to see more clearly our character defects. I think, you know, when I first approached step six, it was like, God, please, please remove, uh, you know, my 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 insane rage where I want to kill people, want to run cars off the road. You know, I, I mean, it was it was at a very high level the the stuff that <laughs> I wanted, uh, you know, God to to remove. And in today's day and age, uh, Monty, they, you know, these are more subtle. They're they're more they're more underneath the horizon. You know, my character defects. So so step six is something that needs to really be continually practiced in our lives. Because because we're human, you know things are going to pop up, and, and we are going to end up being human, and we're going to do things, you know, that are that are not in uh, in alignment with what we think, you know, God would have us be. So we need to then uh, go back and uh, and apply this. Chris, do you do you see that? Uh, in my experience, has been this that step six. Uh, I've heard people say, "Oh, it's the shortest step," or whatever. A lot of people really kind of pass over this thing well you know it's, it's one uh paragraph in in the book alcoholics anonymous so so people seem to think that you know you can you can move through this very very quickly right. and i think initially when you when you take this step you you probably can spend a short amount of time on it the the, the problem is though is we we need to practice these principles right in all of our affairs so so you don't just go through these things once you're done, you're perfect, and you move on. That's not that's not my experience. My my experience is that um, the manifestation of self or ego reemerges on an almost daily basis if I'm not diligent about continuing to practice these principles. And certainly, step six and and step seven is is uh, part of those principles that need to be practiced. Yeah. When men and women pour so much alcohol into themselves that they destroy their lives, they commit a most unnatural act. Defying their instinctive desire for self-preservation, they seem bent upon self-destruction. They work against their own deepest instinct. As they are humbled by the terrific beating administered by alcohol, the grace of God can enter them and expel their obsession. Here their powerful instinct to live can cooperate fully with their Creator's desire to give them a new life. For nature and God alike abhor suicide. But most of our other difficulties don't fall under such a category at all. Every normal person wants, for example, to eat, to reproduce, to be somebody in the society of his fellows, and he wishes to be reasonably safe and secure as he tries to attain these things. Indeed, God made him that way. He did not design man to destroy himself by alcohol, but he did give man instincts to help him to stay alive. There he's talking about the instincts again. I love that. I love how how Bill he, he knew that we learned by repetition, and he he said the same things over and over again using a little different wording so we wouldn't get bored with it. I love that. You know, Bill Bill understood more about the psychology of alcoholism and 
and the philosophy of recovery, it's amazing how much he knew. But he can, he can pin the alcoholic down. He can cut through layers of garbage to be able to push you up against the wall and tell you exactly what's going on. <laughs> and you may not like it, and you may not believe it, but he's right yeah. all the time. He's right. And this has been borne out by my experience, and it'll be borne out by anyone's experience who applies the 12-step recovery process to their, to their life and their alcoholism or their addiction. It is nowhere evident, at least in this life, that our Creator expects us to full fully to eliminate our instinctual drives. So far as we know, it is nowhere on the record that God has completely removed from any human being all his natural drives. Since most of us are born with an abundance of natural desires, uh, it isn't strange that we often let these far exceed their intended purpose. When they drive us blindly or, or we willfully demand that they supply us with more satisfaction or pleasures than are possibly possible or do us, that is the point at which we depart from the degree of perfection that God wishes for us here on earth. What a great paragraph mm. that is. Listen, we have instincts. We need to eat. We need to procreate. We need to, we need to be part of a, a society because we're tribal. We need shelter. We need to not suffer from, from pain. These are things that uh, our instincts help us take care of. But with the alcoholic or the drug addict money, if it's good... Ten of them is better, <laughs> you know. Yeah. If if to make a decent living is good, how about cornering the market on a decent living? How you know if if uh, if sex is good, how about we date five people at once? <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the, the alcoholic is just so like that, and, and and you know, Bill Wilson is great at, at penning us down. Yeah, that's uh, great. <laughs> If we if we if we ask, God will certainly forgive our derelictions, but in no case does He render us white as snow and keep us that way without our cooperation. That's a great line too, because we can ask God to remove these defects of character, but unless we participate in the recovery process, unless we take the actions that are uh, laid out for us in this twelve-step recovery process, nothing's going to happen. You know, there has to be a willingness, and then there has to be action. For for uh, for the for the deal to work with God, there's like a deal, and we have to uphold our part. We have to exert our self will in a certain direction, or else nothing is going to happen. You know, it, it's that was something that confused me for a long time, because um, I, I was always, even after I turned my will, my life over to the care of God. I, I seem to always be asking, oh, God, give me the willingness to be willing to be willing to be willing, you know, all that kind of thing, and, and give me the strength and all that. And, you know, something I discovered, and that's fine, but something I discovered was, you know, at some point in my relationship with him, Chris, I discovered that he already made that available for me, that I could tap into that. And I spent a lot of time asking God this and asking for that and so forth and so on, and, and, and it was already done. It was, it was there for me. Um, and I think we get, I don't, I don't think we, we understand that a lot of times. Yeah, you were just fooling yourself, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, God, you know, get me willing, get me willing, when really you're not really willing. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you're willing, you know, willingness sometimes has a sound. You know, let's, let's just talk about uh, 
character defects. What we do is we identify the character defects. We share share them. We become willing to have God remove the character defect. We, we, we humbly ask God to remove those character defects. We make a list of the people and institutions who those character defects uh, have harmed. And willingness sometimes has, has a, a, a sound attached to it. You know what that sound is, Monty? What's that? <laughs> That's what the sound is. I'm here. I'm here to make amends. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there you go. Knocking on the door. So willingness sometimes has a sound, and if you're not, if you if you're not locked into that type of willingness, then you can't really expect God to render you white as snow because you're not cooperating. Yeah. That is something we're supposed to be willing to work toward ourselves. He asks only that we try as best we know how to make progress in the building of character. So step, so step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character, is AA's way of stating the best possible attitude one can take in order to make a beginning on this lifetime job. This does not mean that we expect all our character defects to be lifted out of us as the drive to drink was. A few of them may be, but with most of them, we shall have to be content with patient improvement. You know, unfortunately, that's what I, that's, that's what I had to accept mm-hmm. with a lot of them. You know, there were certain character defects I wanted removed right away, Monty, because they disturbed me. Uh, but right. it, the, it was the character defects that kept me from, from being a, a message-carrying recovery member. Uh, that got taken away first, because uh, God, God sometimes can use things that I think might be a character defect. You know, you know uh, I might see something as, as, as arrogance or, or boastful, and it may, be, it may be something that places me in a position to really help some people. Sure. You know, uh, sometimes I'm not the guy. The key words, entirely ready, underline the fact that we want to aim at the very best we know or can learn. How many of us have this degree of readiness? In an absolute sense, practically nobody has it. The best we can do with all the honesty that we can muster is to try to have it. Even then, the best of us will discover to our dismay that there's always a sticking point, a point at which we say, no, I can't give this up yet. And we shall often tread on even more dangerous ground when we cry. This I will never give up. Such is the power of our instincts to overreach themselves, no matter how far we have progressed. Desires will always be found which oppose the grace of God. You, you know, um, uh, I've worked with a lot of people, Monty, and every once in a while you will you will run into somebody who is absolutely unwilling uh, to un, to open up a door into a certain part of their life. It might be their sex conduct. Uh, it, it you know it might be how they treat uh, other people. Uh, it might have to do with the way they conduct their businesses. Uh, but that unwillingness is almost always ensures failure at uh, recovery and sobriety. Be- because if you open everything up except that one area or those two areas or whatever, you will surely at some point that whole attitude, that whole unhealed, untreated area is going to seep back into the others and reinfect. Uh, absolutely. It'll corrupt It'll corrupt your spiritual condition. Yeah. And the maintenance of your spiritual condition is really what's going to keep you sober and, and keep you in a state, state known as recovered. You know, so, so you need to be about the business of maintaining that. And by holding on to, you know, uh, uh, dark crannies of the past or holding on to uh, 
behaviors and attitudes and outlooks uh, that are, you know, really not uh, not selfless, you you can you can set yourself up for failure. I'm, I'm going to say something here that is really going to be considered very opinionated by many. So hold on to your hats, folks. Um, I think. <clears throat> We're living in a time, and I'm not saying just now. I mean, it's been going on for a lot of years with a lot of people, but particularly right now, we're living in a time when it comes to relationships. That's a particular area, a particular door that people keep closed. Um, you know, God, you can have this part of me and this part of me and this part of me and sponsor, you can talk to me about this. But when it comes to me, you know, shacking up with Mary over there or whatever it is, you can't you can't look in there because I particularly uh, I, I feel that a lot of people um, have taken uh, certain things that, that I believe are, are, are just uh, absolutes. I mean, there's certain certain laws of the universe uh, that say if you do A and then B, it will equal C and there's no way of getting around it. And what happens is we have a lot of opinions now of what is truth, what is facts, what is right, your reality is yours, mine is mine, all this stuff. And so what happens is a lot of people will never open a door to that part of their life particularly in relationships, because they don't think they're, they're not convinced they're doing anything wrong. They're not convinced. They're convinced that, oh, that's just for religious people or, or that's just for people that are that are more disciplined than me and whatever. And even saying, well, how's that been working for you? Doesn't even seem to get through. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's an obstinacy. It's 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 a look, you know, God is God is good. But I got this thing. And if I'm not in control of this thing, I won't be happy. It, it's it's a it's a damaged belief system, you know. Yeah. Listen, why not invite God into your sex life? Why not invite God into your work life? You know, uh, give it a try. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So so often we're hanging on to, uh, you know, a lump of rocks. <laughs> and and they're they're just they're dragging us down. We we can't we can't move around. You know we're we're not we're not able to to maneuver through our life in a good way because we're dragging around this bag of rocks. And so, and sometimes you know we we want to hang on to them because there are rocks, and and we're, and we're convinced that we need them. And again, it's one of the reasons why in this recovery process it. it begs us to lay aside prejudice. It asks us to, to, to let go of old ideas, and it tells us how important it is to let go of those old ideas or those belief systems and be open to, to, to new direction and a new, you know, a new understanding of certain things. Because if we hang on to the damaged pieces of ourselves, if we hang on, God, God's not... God only, you, you said the other day, uh, God... God's very polite. God is not going to come. Yeah, he's a gentleman. Invited. He's a gentleman. And and if we don't allow him into our sex life, if we don't allow him to, into our work life, he's not coming in. And, you know, listen, you have made a mess out of your life. If you're an alcoholic or if you're a drug addict, you are in way more trouble than you think you are. You have messed your life up to, to, in de degrees that you don't, you won't know for years. You won't be able to peel back all the layers of uh, of the malfunction that that you're in, you've caused in your own life. 
and and so you know let's let's let go and let God you know let's do yeah. that because it's it's incredibly important All right some who feel they have done well may dispute this so let's try to think it through a little further practically everybody wishes to be rid of his most glaring and destructive handicaps no one wants to be so proud that he is scorned as a braggart, nor so greedy that he's labeled a thief. No one wants to be angry enough to murder, lustful enough to rape, gluttonous enough to ruin his health. No one wants to be agonized by the chronic pain of envy or to be paralyzed by sloth. Of course, most human beings don't suffer these defects at these rock-bottom levels. We who have escaped these extremes are apt to congratulate ourselves, yet can we? After all, hasn't it been self-interest, pure and simple, that has enabled most of us to escape? Not much spiritual effort is involved in avoiding excesses, which will bring us punishment anyway. But when we face up to the less violent aspects of these very same defects, then where do we stand? You know, the stuff that's below the horizon. What we must recognize now is that we exult in some of our defects. We really love them. Who, for example, doesn't like to feel just a little bit superior to the next fellow, or even quite a lot superior? Isn't it true that we like to let greed masquerade as ambition? To think of liking lust seems impossible. But how many men and women speak love with their lips and believe what they say so that they can hide lust in a dark corner of their mind? And even while staying within conventional bounds, many people have to admit that their imaginary sex excursions are apt to be all dressed up as dreams of romance. <laughs> Self-righteous anger uh, also can be very enjoyable. In a perverse way, we can actually take satisfaction from the fact that many people annoy us, for it brings a comfortable feeling of superiority. Gossip barbed with our anger, a polite form of murder by character assassination, has its satisfactions for us, too. Here we are not trying to help those we criticize. We are trying to proclaim our righteousness. When gluttony is less than ruinous, we have a milder word for that, too. We call it taking our comfort. We live in a world riddled with envy. To a greater or less degree, everybody is infected with it. From this defect, we must surely get a warped yet definite satisfaction. Else why would we consume such great amounts of time wishing for what we have not, rather than working for it, or angrily looking for attributes we shall never have instead of adjusting to the fact and accepting it? And how often we work hard with no better motive than to be secure and slothful later on. Only we call that retiring. I'll give you one of those, Bonnie. <laughs> you know, one, one of my sponsees was uh, literally spending twenty, thirty dollars a day on uh, on pick on pick six tickets. You know, lottery tickets. Right. And and I asked him, I go, why are you why are you why are you put putting so much money into lottery tickets? You 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 know the odds are way against you. He goes, yeah, but somebody's got to win. And I go, well, why do you want to win? He goes, to get all that money. I go, I go, I'd like you to consider something. You want to live. You want to win the lottery so you don't have to trust God. Wow. Take that into meditation. I like <laughs> that. I like that. And, and, and you know what? He doesn't spend that kind of money on big <laughs> six tickets anymore. Well, you know, I, I don't I don't spend any money on those things at all. And I have people telling me, "Well, you're never going to win unless you buy one." You know, <laughs> and I'm thinking, "Yeah, you just go. Keep, you keep throwing your money in the street like that. I got a family to feed." Uh, unbelievable. <laughs> you know, and listen, listen. Somebody does have to win, but but I'm telling you, for every two hundred million, somebody wins ten million. You know, all that other money's going somewhere else. 
So it's it's really kind of a fool's bet. Yeah, and then the people that win, you, you see it over and over and over again. Their lives are trash. It's yeah, it's bad for them. Yeah. All of a sudden, they don't have to trust God. They, <laughs> they got this, and they, they mess up in a big way. Consider, too, our talents for procrastination, which is really sloth in five syllables. Nearly everyone could could submit a good list of such defects as these, and few of us would seriously think of giving them up, at least until they caused us excessive misery. Some people, of course, may conclude that they are indeed ready to have all such defects taken from them. But even these people, if they construct a list of still milder defects, will be obliged to admit that they prefer to hang on to some of them. Therefore, it seems plain that few of us can quickly or easily become ready to aim at spiritual and moral perfection. We want to settle for only as much perfection as will get us by in life, according, uh, according of course, to our various and sundry ideas of what will get us by. And he's like, we're going to be like the little boy who just wants the pain to go away. Mm-hmm. We don't want perfect teeth. Mm-hmm. So the difference between the boys and the men is the difference between striving for a self-determined objective and for the perfect objective, which is of God. Many will at once ask, how can we accept the entire implication of step six? Why, that is perfection. This sounds like a hard question, but practically speaking, it isn't. Only step one, where we made 100% admission, we were powerless over alcohol, can be practiced with absolute perfection. The remaining 11 steps are perfect ideals. They are goals toward which we look and the measuring sticks by which we estimate our progress. Seen in this light, step six is still difficult, but not at all impossible. The only urgent thing is that we make a beginning and keep trying. Absolutely. Make a beginning, keep trying. Willingness is the key to all of these steps. Mm-hmm. It certainly is the key to recovery. If we would gain any real advantage in the use of this step on the problems other than alcohol, we shall need to make a brand new venture into open-mindedness. We shall need to raise our eyes toward perfection and be ready to walk in that direction. It will seldom matter how haltingly we walk. The only question will be, are we ready? And I'll tell you, I have haltingly walked in, in direction of, uh, uh, of, uh, of the divine, Monty. And, you know, uh, I, think, I think it's very, very humbling sometimes to, to accurately assess exactly where I am on that plane. Yeah. I, I certainly have an unbelievable amount of work ahead of me. And, and uh, you know, uh, there's, there's so much still to be done. Uh, and that's good. I am so glad that you don't just you don't just recover and become perfect. Uh, that would right. incre- the, that would be incredibly boring. I think. Yeah. I, I'm really glad that this is a challenge, and I'm really glad that you know God is 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 part of this. Is is all of this, and that you know I can uh, I can continue to to seek. Um, knowledge and try to continue to move toward conscious contact with God uh, because it's that's just great and you know what the great thing is is God accepts how how faultingly we move God God accepts us as in, in all of our imperfections the only thing that would be unacceptable is to to remain unwilling to make an effort at this stuff you know you know you mentioned that that, that it is hard to to take a look at ourselves and so forth. And and what I found was that I've got this any enemy in my soul. I believe it's a literal enemy. Some people might call it their ego or some people might call it their alcoholic, whatever. But for, you know, semantic wise, I, there is this enemy and, and, and it tells me 
Uh, see, see what a crumb you are. See how selfish you are. See, see how lousy you are. See how irresponsible you are. And, and just beats me up while I'm trying to look at these things. And what I found is, Chris, the more time I spend with God, the easier it is for me to recognize his voice and that other voice starts to fade. You know, I had a talk with a guy that uh, that I, I'm working with today, and he had he had a question on one of the people that he was working with. One of the great things is when you take someone through the steps as a spiritual advisor, you you do not remain a drama coach for long, <laughs> <laughs> because they're now working they're now working with God on, on all of that drama. But every once in a while, they will have a question on how to approach uh, someone that they're working with. And this guy came to me basically saying, you know, people are coming to him saying that one of his guys is drinking, what should he do? And my advice to him is, look, you've gone through the steps. You've had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. You should be able to intuitively know how to handle a sponsee that would normally baffle you. You, you, need, you, need, to, you need to go into that prayer and meditation and get in touch with that intuitive uh, and intuition really basically is to know without conscious thought to access access that that uh, that you know that fourth dimension of reality and you should be able to trust your instincts trust your trust your guidance trust your spiritual guidance and, and you know trust that and and if it says confront him about his drinking, then do that. But if it says, "Look, you know, let's let's not jump in. We we could do more harm than good. Let's let's try let's try to work another angle. Then work that on other angle. You don't need direct advice from me on this. You know, you you have access to some something much more powerful and mm. much more knowledgeable than me. You know, you have access now to. Uh, uh, to spiritual direction and a channel to to the guidance of God, that's really what these steps will will, will do for you when you get through them. You, you you'll be able to to remain in contact in that conscious contact with God and to and to truly know, you know how to how to move forward. So you know that was my advice to him. My advice to him was you know seek the divine counsel. Don't don't necessarily ask me what I would do. I, I'm not. I'm not involved in the situation. I don't know the person very well, and right. I, I could I could tell you to I could tell you to go the wrong way. You know, you, you you need you need to use that connectivity that you have with God uh, to help you with situations like that. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because God is the one that created you, and He's the one that created the guy that's drinking, so He knows us better than anybody. And we're not supposed to play God. So I would be playing God by telling him what I think he should do. Yeah. <laughs> tell you, well, let me tell you what I think he should do. You know, you know, I, and what if I'm wrong? What if I cause damage? What, what, if, what if the guy listens to me because uh, I'm his advisor and does the wrong thing? You, you know? Sure. So again, uh, looking again at those defects, we are still unwilling to give up. We ought to er- erase the hard and fast lines that we have drawn. Perhaps we shall be obliged in some cases still to say, this I cannot give up yet. But we should not say to ourselves, this I will never get, give up. Let's dispose of what appears to be a hazardous open end we have left. It is suggested that we ought to become entirely willing to aim toward perfection. We note that some delay, however, might be pardoned. That word in the mind of a rationalizing alcoholic could certainly be given a long-term meeting. He could say, how very easy, sure, I'll head toward perfection, but I'm certainly not going to hurry any. 
Maybe I can postpone dealing with some of my problems indefinitely. Of course, this won't do. Such a bluffing of oneself will have to go the way of many and another pleasant rationalization. At the very least, we shall have to come to grips with some of our worst character defects and take action toward their removal as quickly as we can. The moment we say no, never, our minds close against the grace of God. Delay is dangerous, and rebellion may be fatal. This is the exact point at which we abandon limited objectives and move toward God's will for us. Delay is dangerous, and rebellion may be fatal, Monty. Mm. With these defects of character. And, and, you know, we we, we jokingly, the the introduction... uh, Brad says, uh, and now here's these two guys that investigate prior to contempt. Uh, but that is a very serious thing, this contempt prior to investigation. I have found that when I do that, I am in rebellion, man. There's three type of people that usually show up in the support groups. Um, uh, the bigot, the pious man, and the man of consideration. Let me tell you what those three different people are. The pious man is someone who will believe anything. He'll believe the last self-help book he read is the answer for his life. He'll believe everything he hears in the meetings, and he'll believe exactly what his sponsor tells him without without any consideration at all. He's the pious man. The bigot is the person who already knows. You can't tell them anything because they've worked out their own strange, bizarre philosophy and they're they they really think that they're smarter than you and they've got a better idea of how things work in the world than you do and that's the bigot what we want to be money is we want to be the man of consideration and what that is is we take the information that we're exposed to and we take it into thoughtful consideration and with an open mind we examine it to see if it's if it's going to be right for us. And we base our we base our actions and we base our program on the literature, not what we hear in meetings. We base it on literature and we become very very open to considerations. You know, when I, when I was when I was first exposed to uh to su- support groups and and people in recovery, uh I I tended to believe almost everything that I heard. Uh, then I went through a bigoted period where, you know, I didn't believe anything I heard. And finally, I came out the end uh, as someone who can be uh, uh, considerate, who will consider certain things. And I'll be open-minded listening to somebody or I'll be open-minded, you know, seeking counsel. Uh, but I'm not going to just buy into it 100%. If it doesn't doesn't line up with uh, the literature, uh, I'm, I'm going to probably consider that it's not for me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, you bet. But but it's like it's like if we discard uh, some, what somebody's saying because we don't particularly like their personality, we could very well miss something that could save our lives. Yeah, absolutely. We need to, we need to consider it. Yeah, know, at least consider rather it. Rather than dismiss it. And that's what my sponsor, uh, my my sponsor told me years ago, uh, when people were coming up to me and they were saying, "Oh, you're, you're prideful and you're this and you're that," and I thought, "What? I never, looked, I never thought of myself like that." He says, "My, this is how you answer them." He says, "Tell them, thank you. I will consider that, and then really consider it." Yeah, that's that's a very very good um, very good advice. Yeah. Well, next week. We're moving into step seven, which states, humbly asked him, who? God. 
to remove our shortcomings. Uh, I love step six because it really explains the seven deadly sins very, very well. Pride, greed, lust, anger, gluttony, envy, and sloth. Uh, there's a lot of meat in this, and it, it, that's why we really encourage folks to to listen to these broadcasts and to get these uh, these these workshops. But in step seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. You and I talked about one time about does he actually do that or do we always just hold on to these these shortcomings or these defects? And you and I are on the same page. We believe that God does. Uh, and like you said earlier so eloquently, is that sometimes we think they're defects or there's something that's actually going to help us. But the ones that are really standing in our way of our useful usefulness to our fellows God wants to take those away. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right, Chris, right on, buddy. Um, boy, good show, full of a lot of filet mignon today. I really enjoyed that. Thank you, my friend. Okay. All right, friends, don't forget, walking through the big book. Also, take12radio at comcast.net. That's our email address. Until our next broadcast, broadcast this is the Monty Man wishing God's serenity for you. Broadcasting.